This is Talking Work. I'm Deborah Ishihara. Today we're travelling to Mexico, in our minds at least, and talking to a partner in our Mexican law firm to get an update on what's happening there at the moment. Welcome to Talking Work, the employment law podcast by Use Laboris. In each episode, we invite a different guest to discuss what's happening in the world of work. If you're an HR professional of any kind, this podcast is for you. I'm delighted to welcome David Puente Tostado, partner in our Mexican law firm, Basham Ringei Correra. David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Deborah. Okay, so let's start off by talking about what's uppermost in people's minds in Mexico in terms of employment law. Um, it seems there are some fairly new rules on teleworking, so maybe you could tell me about those. Sure, Deborah. The telework provisions were incorporated uh, early in 2021, so it has been almost a year since. Uh, however, for many employers, COVID-19 has been a reason not to fully comply with uh, with it. Uh, as telework should be voluntary, and we were sent home uh, uh, by federal restrictions on a mandatory basis. So uh, in any event, uh, uh, as many parts of the world, we have realized that telework is something possible and that it has not decreased productivity in the companies. So uh, many companies are starting to look at their policies on remote work and, and telework programs. Uh, so in Mexico, to trigger uh, the telework obligations, an employee must be working remotely for at least 40% of uh, his or her weekly work shift. Uh, it should be voluntary and should be permanent. I mean, it should be agreed and in the individual employment agreement, which we must, in Mexico, we must execute. And uh, occasional work uh, that requires more than 40%, but, it, but that's not permanent, such as, for example, staying home to take care of kids or, or, or relatives, will not be telework, will, will just be considered as remote work. This is important because uh, there's a set of new obligations for teleworkers, uh, especially I mean, both for employees and employers. But for the main part, for the employers, we're obligated if we're under a telework relationship, uh, employers are obligated to pay a proportional part of the electricity bill of the employee and uh, pay for telecommunications or any type of, of internet access, et cetera, et cetera. Provide, obviously, with the work instruments, which is not something different from working on-site. But we do need to provide uh, ergonomic chairs, computers, printers, etc., etc. There should be a um, health and safety official standard coming soon. Uh, the reform mentioned that the labor ministry had 18 months to publish that, uh, and they're still under term to, to do so. Another thing that is important is that employers need to keep a log on consumables that are granted to the employee, such as office supplies, toners, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something important. It could be irrelevant. It might seem irrelevant, but it's something that is specifically mentioned that an inspector will review in, in case of an inspection in telework. Sorry for that again. There's also a, a what we call the right of reversibility. That means that both the employer or the employee have the right to request uh, going back to work on site. This apparently is only a right when you start a relationship that it's on site and you modify it to a teleworker uh, uh, structure. 
but not if you start as a teleworker and, ne and never had a had an on-site uh, agreement. And then what was most interesting for many Mexican companies is that telework should be included in the collective bargaining agreements. In any absence of a, of a collective bargaining agreement, it should be included in the internal rules. Why was this a surprise to Mexican companies? Because we normally associate uh, unionized employees with uh, 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 plant workers, with uh, regular uh, operators, manual work. We, we usually don't tend to think that uh, unionized employees are, are those uh, on administrative positions. However, with all of these compromises that Mexico have been uh, acquiring international compromises or agreements, it is likely that we will start seeing uh, uh, unionized employees on administrative functions, which will obviously uh, be able to uh, telework. Okay, and just thinking about people's mental health here, is there a right to disconnect under the new rules? That's a very good question. And true, uh, the telework provisions incorporated uh, the right to disconnect, meaning that the employers should respect the work shift of the employee and the employee should not be working beyond their, their work shift. It was incorporated in the telework uh, provisions. Uh, uh, we believe that it should have been incorporated as a general rule for every type of work, because I think the right to disconnect is not only exclusive for teleworkers. Mm, absolutely. Um, let's turn to vaccination now. Can vaccination be mandated by employers in Mexico? Unfortunately, no, or well, not unfortunately, but no. <laughs> Our president has made it very clear that vaccination in Mexico is completely voluntary, even though there is a decree for Mexican officials or government uh, employees that they they are required to be vaccinated in order to return to work. We, we are not required to request that to continue employment, but uh, we, we are able, employers are able to condition the return to the offices, the return to the offices uh, for fully vaccinated uh, employees. I mean, if the activities of the employee required to be in contact with customers or with other employees, et cetera, et cetera. I believe that the, the employers uh, would have uh, a legal ground to uh, request the employee to continue be, being, uh, to continue being working uh, remotely. Mm. What happens if someone who's decided not to get vaccinated wants to access the workplace, though? Can they do that or can the employer refuse them entry? Well, there is an obligation for employees to provide safety measures, including avoiding the spread of diseases uh, uh, such as COVID-19. So that's why I was, I was mentioning that we do have a legal grounds as employers to support not a termination, but rather an employee working, uh, working remotely, especially since it's been already proven uh, with clinical evidence that non-vaccinated employees are, are not only uh, subject to getting or acquiring COVID, but also have a higher chance of transmitting that. So, so employers do have this, this opportunity and obviously to request from employees to test themselves for COVID. Indeed. Now, just returning to collective bargaining, which you touched on earlier, as I understand it, there's new law in Mexico that changes collective employment relationships in some way. Could you tell me something about this? Sure. The, the full force of this reform, which it dated a little bit back, 
entered in November 2021. And just to give you a little bit of background, for many years in Mexico, the decision of entering into a collective bargaining agreement was not made by the employees, as funny as that may sound, uh, but the employers and the unions uh, were the ones that decided. Unions were allowed to file notices to intend to strike for the signature of a collective bargaining agreement without even being requested to demonstrate that they represented the employees. So that made employers uh, proactively seek uh, friendly unions to enter into CBAs. And sometimes employees didn't even know that they were represented by unions and that they had this collective bargain agreement. So for many years, companies had this, what we used to call protective or non-active collective bargaining agreements. And this is why the reform uh, wanted to eliminate this type of, of agreements. Now that not with these rules, this gives the decision of being unionized back to the employees. The unions may not seek a collective bargaining agreement unless they demonstrate that they represent a number of employees, 30%, and that they obtain a specific a a certification of representation. Likewise, the, uh, the reform uh, is trying to eliminate this protective bargaining agreements by asking employers to legitimize them, meaning that for all of those uh, CBAs that were signed before the reform, they will continue to be enforced as long as they're legitimized, meaning that employees are asked one single question, do you approve the terms of your CBA? If the answer is yes, the CBA continues to be enforced. If the answer is no, then the CBA is automatically terminated. And additional to that, any after legitimizing that, any revision that you do on the collective bargaining agreement will now have to be done by uh, the voting of the majority of the employees or requiring the, the, the majority uh, of the employees uh, of approval. So it's, it's, it's returning collective decisions back to, to the employees. Mm -hmm. It seems there's also something interesting going on in terms of mandatory profit sharing. Basically, businesses in Mexico are required by law to share 10% of their pre-tax profits with their employees every year. What's happening on this front, David? That's also true. Uh, on April 2021, uh, there was a very interesting reform regulating subcontracting relationship and a cap to profit sharing. And why, why is subcontracting reform relevant to profit sharing? Well, because many employees outsourced the totality of their the employment relationships or their or their payroll through own or third party staffing agencies in which the company had profits but had no employees to share it with and then outsourced the employees through through this third party so the reform of subcontracting eliminated that type of structure or prohibits that type of structure in, in Mexico were no longer allowed to hire personnel through third parties, not even temporary, obviously permanent or neither. Uh, so these meant that all of the employees that are engaged in the core business uh, or main business activity of, of, of the company should be hired by that specific company. And that means that they will participate in this 10% of profit sharing. Okay, so uh, uh, because profit sharing was unlimited before the reform, we saw companies that were sharing up to 18 months of salary. So it's a, it's a substantial amount of money. So 
uh, trade associations and employee chambers uh, uh, lobbied to include a cap on profit sharing that would be uh, the highest of two alternatives, three months of salary or uh, the average of the past three years. So there were there were companies that were sharing profit because they did not have this dual structure of sending employees to a, to an employee holding company. But there were many others that, that did that. So in this particular case, uh, these two different scenarios do not want to harm the employee's average of profit sharing that they were receiving. Just It's important to mention that this is not a maximum required. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a cap. So we're not required to share three months of salary. We're required to share whatever uh, profit sharing is generated for up to three months of salary. Just to finish off, let's talk about something international. In this case, the USMCA, which is the trade treaty between Mexico, the US and Canada. Now, under that treaty, there's a mechanism for a country to enforce the proper implementation of its terms. And the US appears to have initiated two cases against Mexico about this. Could you explain something about these to our listeners, David? Sure. There's a very important case in the northeast part of Mexico uh, in which a union was seeking the entitlement of a collective bargaining agreement. And apparently the company was intervening by uh, making some obstacles for that. This was claimed uh, uh, through the U- U.S. trade representative and the U.S. trade representative uh, uh, requested a rapid response mechanism, which is a short-term procedure that was incorporated to the USMCA in order to comply with two main uh, 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 labor rights. One of them is freedom of association and the other one is effective negotiations on collective bargaining agreements. So this procedure was started uh, because of that entitlement. There was a dispute between two unions. The company was intervening. Uh, the company terminated the employees that were allegedly making these requests for this other union to enter. And by denouncing this, the consequences that could have uh, been applied to this company uh, would have been to uh, sanctions, obviously, uh, but also could be the loss of a preferential rights uh, on exportations to the U.S., back to the U.S., uh, uh, from the manufacturing in Mexico. So that there were strong consequences if they should have continued with this action. So there was this agreement that the company did with the U.S. trade representative as a conciliatory measure, a very substantial one. All of the employees that were terminated were given full severance plus six months of back wages. The company was asked to uh, search for a new manager for labor relationships uh, because they thought it was the manager was not the, the proper person. They strengthened COVID uh, uh, measures. Uh, so there was a very strong resolution or agreement to comply in order to avoid uh, uh, these types of sanctions. So we've, we've seen that. Another was uh, for a, an important uh, uh, automotive company in which they requested to legitimize the collective bargaining agreement. And apparently the votings uh, for legitimizing the collective bargaining agreements were not going uh, the way the union wanted. And the, and I assume that the company wanted as well. 
Uh, and there were some irregularities there, the uh, uh, burning of ballots, negative uh, ballots. Uh, so so uh, that's when the U.S. trade representative as well uh, entered, claimed that there was the decision of the employees was not been uh, given to them. Uh, and the process of legitimizing was redone and the union lost or not. Well, the, the union lost the, the collective bargain agreement. The, the employees did not vote in favor of the collective bargain agreement. And the consequences, as I mentioned, is that the collective bargain agreement is is terminated. So these are the two, uh, I guess, main examples of what has been done uh, with the use of the uh, these mechanisms uh, in the USMCA. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for that update, David. Our Mexican firm is a very active member of our alliance and often participates in our surveys, so you can find lots of information on our site from the Mexican perspective, including, for example, our survey on the new workplace. Now, this survey contains information about some of the things we've just been talking about, for instance, vaccination and testing, and also remote working. And you can find a link to that survey in the notes to this episode. You'll also see David's contact details there, and mine are there too. You're always welcome to contact me on anything to do with employment law. And if you need to know who to contact in a particular country, say, I'll put you in touch with the right person. Do browse around our website, by the way. There's lots of information there on all sorts of employment-related topics at usaboris.com. Thanks for listening and do join us again next time. That's it for this episode of Talking Work. But we'll be back very soon with more insights from our guests from around the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit usaboris.com to access all our content resources and tools.